Hello, everybody, and welcome to the No Breaking Podcast. Today, I'm joined by a drag racer, builder, and automotive influencer, Alex Taylor. Alex, thank you so much for making the time to be on the show. Thanks so much for having me, James. I'm really excited. Well, I'm glad you're excited because I'm excited too, and that's the important thing here. (laughs) So with that being the case, Alex, why don't we just delve right into your background and your sort of family history and how you came to sort of be um, this uh, sort of drag racer, builder, and automotive influencer. How did it all start? (laughs) So I kind of have, you know, the typical, like, you know, people say it's in your blood kind of thing. It literally is in mine. So I grew up in the industry. My dad is a builder. Um, I was literally at the shop from a couple weeks old. So my parents owned what was DT Restorations or Dennis Taylor Restorations at the time. And he built production fiberglass willies and Fords. So lots of employees at the shop and they were sending these cars all over the world just as bodies and as turnkeys. So super busy. They built, you know, high-end street cars. That was their thing for 20 years. And then as that kind of, that market kind of shifted and changed, they shifted into more of the one-off street cars. And then it's now transitioned into kind of like a one-off high-performance street and strip cars. So think like drag week style cars and such like that. So all of through these transitions, I have grown up with the shop for the past 23 years. So um, as a young kid, my parents they both worked the business. So my sister and I, we literally spent every single day at the shop. So I'm a super hands-on person. I've always been into everything. So I would spend my days out in the shop, you know, following around my dad or maybe following around employees and being like, can I help? Like, what can I do? What will you let me do today? So um, the interest was there from a young age, just from sheer exposure. And then as I got older, um, 14, 15, you know, I was getting my learner's permit. In Arkansas, we have what's called a hardship. So you can hardship license. So you can actually drive by yourself at 15. So I started driving, you know, progressing there. And the deal had always been that if I had my college paid for with scholarships and such, they'd, you know, in return, they'd buy me a car or something um, when I graduated. Well, switch that up a little. When I was 16, my mom had a 68 Camaro, 15 actually, a 68 Camaro that was sitting in the back shop needed to be rebuilt. They made the deal with me. Hey, if you want to build this car and be involved in it, like this car can be yours kind of thing. And you can drive to high school. I was like, well, when, when I get to be involved and I get, you know, to do the car. Well, that car kind of snowballed and it ended up being my drag week car that I raced when I was 16, first drag, or first drag week 2013 for me. And so I was the youngest competitor of Hot Rod Magazine's Drag League. So that kind of started my track from just like the love for automotive side and turned it into a track and path of drag racing. So that car has shaped me and my skills over the past seven years. It's kind of like the home base for my growth. And so it has turned into kind of, it's like what led me to the point I'm at now. So. Yeah, and I, I guess the, <laughs> now I have the big question saying, obviously, I mean, it's not just you that, that drag races in your family, right? There's more people that do it than that. Right, yeah. So me and my dad both race. Um, he started getting back into racing when he, probably sometime around 2008, got into gasser racing. Um, so, you know, old school nostalgia type stuff. And then in 2008, 
there was the Drag Week winning car that had won in 2007. It was the first seven-second car on Drag Week. So at the time, this was a huge deal. Um, that was, you know, incredible to do that and drive it on the street at, at the time with the technology. And so Dad actually had just built a Willie's High Boy and had it advertised, and it was for sale. And Denny Turgis, who had built the black car that won that year, in 2007 called dad and was like would you like to straight across trade the high boy for the car for the car that had just won drag week so that's what started my love for drag week and kind of shifted our racing there so he raced on and off with different cars gathers the camaro back and forth for the next couple of years and i fell in love with racing there as well um and you know kind of done myself crew chief and stuff as <laughs> at a young age so um, when we got into Drag Week, I was actually the first one in the family to do Drag Week, not because I was the first one to discover it, but I did 2013 Drag Week with my mom. Uh, my dad wasn't on that. And then I had so much fun. Dad came back in 2014 and was like, I got to go on this. So then he built that uh, a Ranchero, Ranchero Gasser at the time. And then since then, he's built multiple cars that he's taken on that. Um, and now he has a 71 Nova that he's actually had since he was 16. 72 Nova has had since he was 16, and um, it, that's what he drives now. So it's a seven-second car. So racing also shifts a little bit. So Dad and I race alongside each other. We've ever never actually got to team up until this year. So. Yeah, and I was going to say, so obviously with you, you teaming up, now how, the pre how does the pressure go in regards to going from competition? When does the friendly competition sort of end and the red mist <laughs> end between the, all the family in regards to anything competitive <laughs> on a racetrack? So thankfully, previously, Dad and I have never actually gone head to head. We've been in the same races, but yep. we've always been in different classes. So thankfully, it's never been any, <laughs> you know, I'm going to take you out kind of thing. I'm definitely a trash talker to him. I'm not publicly, but, you know, I'll be like, your car's slow kind of thing. Um, he definitely beats me every time, so I don't have a chance. But um, anyways, yeah, so it's back and forth, but we definitely, it's still all in good fare. There's never actually been any blood out you know so to say so um it, it's fine we've never actually got to compete compete directly against each other so yeah so in regards to competing that you were doing um do you want to talk a little bit and sort of explain like for example i know you've competed in a few different things like the drag week and the rocky mountain race week and like the roadkill nights what's what's the appeal to you in regard to those sort of competitions <laughs> yeah so those events, so let's start with like the rate drag and drive style events. So you've got your Rocky Mountain Race Weeks, your Summit Midwest Drags, and your Hot Rod Magazine Drag Week. So those are kind of where I got started with that type of event. And it's just so unique because it is, you don't get to have the luxuries that you do at a typical race. So I always say, people are like, what's your schedule? Well, I'm like, I've got this race and this race. It doesn't sound that much. It's been two races previously. This year I have a way busier schedule. But you know, it'll be a race week and a drag week a year. That's what it was. Well, as a full-time college student, as a full-time anybody working, that's a lot. You're taking off 10 days back-to-back -back pretty much for one race and then doing it again. And it is like, I always say, it's like for some people, it is a season's worth of racing in a period of, you know, one or two racing races. So these events are just so unique because you are, it's like the trophy truck of drag racing. Like the car has no support. It's truly a test of builder. It's a test of, you know, driver. It's a test of man and machine because you're not just like, if you break something, you have to fix it there or you're just done. And those events don't come around every weekend. They come around once a year. So 
there's a lot at stake in order to one survive the week and two do it successfully so um, there's just a, it's a really unique atmosphere as far as the competition goes and then the other appeal to it is it's just unlike anything I don't know how to describe it the camaraderie the people that are there um, it's amazing to work alongside people that are at those events and compete alongside them so that's something that's really unique um, those events are something like I said I kind of started with and I would like to honestly branch out a little bit try some other types of racing um, you know other formats but honestly it's like become one of those things where I feel not obligated I love being there but like I can't not be at those events and this year there's going to be four of them that's a lot a lot a lot of wear and tear on a car so trying to figure out how to squeeze other stuff in that's my next goal <laughs> so what sort of other stuff are you thinking that you might try like to branch out to then to be honest i don't have an answer i don't know exactly i don't know what type of events i want to do i want to try to do some you know maybe more small tire with the camaro small tire type events um just going and like you know actually like drag week it's not a head-to-head -head competition you're going for the fastest time so i just want to try to do something where I could hone in on driving skills when it's like head-to-head -head competition. So, you know, you're thinking about your reaction time, thinking about your strategies and such there rather than just going for, you know, the fastest time. Yeah, and if we touch on that, I mean, your Camaro that you've had since you were like 16 that you've been building, it's Bad Maro, right? Is that my pronouncing it correctly? Close, Bad Maro, but however you want to say it, it works. Sorry, it's, it's the English in me that goes the other way. So That's I what I thought. That. That's what I thought. No, 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 it's fine, it's fine. <laughs> so when, when you started with that, I mean, what sort of horsepower figure were you at then when you first started? Like, because obviously you've oh, got God. a car that you're going just to, to and from school, you know, you're maybe going out, getting takeout occasionally, maybe going to the movies. And so where did you start yeah. with at that point, the first time? First. So, <laughs> the very first rendition of Bad Marrow, it just had a totally stock, naturally, like, naturally aspirated LS1. So... Um, it was, I, we didn't even put it on the dyno. It was whatever, you know, a stock LS1 would make at that, you know, at that level. So, um, very much so just the daily driver cruise around, you know, I was running, I think my fastest pass my first year of racing with that setup was, uh, 11, like 78, something like that. So like it I was high 11, um, but it was cool on drag weight because, I took literally a brand new car. My dad dropped my mom and I off eight hours away from home. And he put me in, you know, a brand new car where I had no crew for the whole week. And I got the car down from like running 13 to running 11. Like I was doing the tuning by no means was it good, but I was doing it. Um, so that was my first year. And since then, like the very next year, we came back, put a set of turbos on it, changed to a different LS motor. Uh, different block and stuff, upgraded the internals a little bit. I was running nine, ran eight in 2015, and I've been stuck in the eight since then because I've got an 850 cage. But there's been tons of different renditions in between their engine combination-wise. Now I have an LSX, 427 LSX uh, with great internals, uh, 2,000 horsepower capable, a super nice 4L80 totally built the read case and everything like it's so it's, it's it's been through a lot of changes <laughs> sure 
and and so I wanted to sort of t- touch on that kind of and say, I mean, obviously when you st- you start, you said obviously that the stock LS once, that's probably say mm-hmm. around three, say three to four hundred horsepower in that range, I think. Yeah, think, yeah, close. Yeah, like three fifty-ish. Yeah. Yeah, and then so what? How can you explain to someone? You say, look, my car, this is going three fifty now, but I'm going to go up. And so, what would the next jump be in horsepower? Do you say for the next rendition that you were going down in that quest to go drop uh, that time slip down? Was- it was probably around, we didn't even dyno that one at that point. It was probably around, you know, 900, 1,000 horsepower. It was probably, getting a, it was probably around 1,000. I mean, it was an LS with, you know, turbos on it. I think they were like little 66s at the time. Um, maybe even a little bit smaller. I can't remember the very first set. Um, and so it was somewhere around that. Kept that set up for the next probably two years. And then did for each year after that, did a set of bigger turbos. So I think we went from like 66s to 69 to like 72s is where it's at now. Um, 72, 69 Borg Warner turbos. And then about three years ago, switched from the stock 60 block with cathedral port heads and everything to the LSX block. So like an LS3 based with like the square port heads, upgraded that, did the AFR 18, you know, the their high-end mongoose head for it, went that route. So just built built it to be lasting, <laughs> sustainable. Of course, at that of point. course. And so what sort of horsepower are we talking about sort of a net figure then? Or that rendition? Last time we dynoed it, it's been probably two two years ago. So it's Keep in mind, it's got a 4L80, so there's a lot of loss there. But at the tire, it was like 1,300. And that's that's been a while. That's been a turbo set back. That's been, you know, a couple changes back. So it's probably, crank-wise, it's probably 16 to 1,700 and, now. And, obvi- so. and obviously, I will say, Alex, I don't want to be mean here, but I know I am talking to a drag racer, and sometimes drag racers are not always as honest as they could be in regards to telling Absolutely anyone not. about the- <laughs> Exactly. But, <laughs> no, that's a that's a sheer guess, just because I'm not, it's not a total guess. It's, I just don't have the exact number. Uh, haven't had it on the dyno, but yeah, people are a little bit sneaky for me. I don't know. Dyno numbers only go so far. You're you don't get to you're not racing on the dyno, so of course, it only of course. So much. <laughs> I like as as, I, as someone once told me. I guess it's the butt dyno that gives you the most, and then apart from the butt dyno, which is the person behind the wheel that helps the most in regards to the performance. I think <laughs> that's very true. That's true. So, <laughs> how did you go then from from racing and going into it? Where are you deciding this is where you want to go down? How can I sort of take myself from just being a regular driver to creating Alex Taylor Racing as a brand? Where did how did that sort of come together? It's kind of an interesting story, um, how it's all played out. So at 16, when I first started, I remember that I was, at the time, forums were still a big deal. And Bang Shift was a very popular forum, and that's where all the drag weekers went and they talked. And so I, a 16-year-old girl, did not know that I, I just, I wanted to be a part of it. I didn't do it with any intention. Social media wasn't, you know, as big as it is now. And so I just wanted to get on the forum, post about my build like everybody else did, and show up, you know, at the race. I just wanted to get to know people. So that's what I did. So throughout the whole build, that we did the Camaro, I would go in at night around the evenings and I would do 
a blog post update on the on the bank shift website well i started noticing whatever you call it on a form i can't remember like hits or views or whatever i was like oh this is getting you know quite a bit of views but like at the time it literally did not matter zero zilch to me like i literally just wanted to fit in with the people i was going to be racing with so i remember showing up to my first drag week pulling with a car and literally multiple people came up to me and they're like you're that girl with the camaro I was like, yeah, that's me. You know, I didn't think anything of it. Well, that year snowballed stuff for me that I did not anticipate. So at the time, I was saying, like, I just wanted to go fast and race. I did not foresee it being a brand. I was a 16-year-old that had just got my license. That's the gist of it there. So then over the next couple of years, I started working with a couple of different sponsors who they saw more in me than I actually knew I had the potential of at the time. So I'm so, I'll forever be thankful for the people that hopped on initially, you know, and my mom and dad helped me write proposals. They had such a big role in that so early on. And I ended up working, you know, going to school, racing, um, all at the same time. My senior year of high school, I started working for a company called Crower Camp out of California. I worked for them for two years and I traveled with them as a marketing assistant for two years. So we'd go to track races every weekend. Keep in mind, full-time student as this is going on. Um, and so like I started seeing the marketing side behind the company. That's like what we were doing. Like I, I was watching their marketing. We were trying to revive an old brand name. We're trying different tactics, you know, different things like that. And I'm working with these different companies. I'm working with racers. I'm seeing this. And I started seeing the business side. And so that kind of opened up my eyes. And as I moved through school, I went to school for marketing, uh, college for marketing, got my degree and everything. But people would always ask me, they're like, what are you going to do with it? I'm like, I'm going to market myself. They're like, no, you got to work for a company. I'm like, no, I am my company. I am Alex Taylor, and that's going to be my company. And so... I didn't know what I was going to do with it. And honestly, until the past year, I haven't known how much opportunity there would be. So I've just taken, I've always known people ask me like, what do you want to be? What's your end goal? Are you going to be a driver? Are you going to be this? I'm like, I don't know. If the opportunity is there, I'm going to take it. So I love the driving. I love everything within the industry. I love being in front of the camera, behind the camera. I just love being involved in the industry. So over the past four or five years, if a door's open, I take it. If there's an opportunity to do a video, a podcast, or this or that, or a build this car, or do that, I've always accepted it. So within the past year, it's when Alex Taylor Racing has really kind of started to hone in on what that means. So I've had that brand for years, but in the past year, it's been, okay, I want to be a drag racer, a builder, in an automotive, we'll call it an influencer, but like a content side. So working with companies. And so it's just been kind of a natural progression of my genuine love for the industry and then being like, okay, I want to make this my career. How do I do it? So it's been an evolving process of just feeling it out. What opportunities are there? What opportunities can create? How can I pair these? And then with that though, I mean, how do you manage to sort of balance everything out between the the racing obviously the work that you do family life and then the social media how does it all sort of how do you manage to squeeze all that into those 24 hours in a day 
Oh my goodness. So that's a funny question that you asked that because today I'm building a new car right now. It'll be done in May. My dad and I are building it. We're going to be racing together. And this project has opened up an incredible amount of opportunities. Um, that's, it's just insane. Some of the, I can't wait to make some announcements about it, but, um, it is honestly overwhelming. The stuff has, the opportunities and everything has grown so much in the past year that I was just on the phone having conversations with people today. I'm like, how do I manage this? Like, how do I actually create a calendar? I'm, I'm a one-man band. I don't have a manager. I don't have somebody answering my emails. So to answer your question in short, it is a hard balance that I'm learning. Um, I did go to school four years and do all this at the same time. So it kind of has helped me practice, you know. It's just sacrificing some things um, to do others. So I'm trying to come up with a routine and a schedule for, you know, on these days we put, we create posts on these days it's working. Cause I gotta get that done somewhere, you know, out in the shop and these days it's, it's racing and it's this. So it's honestly just coming up with a routine and a schedule. I try to keep in mind that not having enough time is, you know, an incredible problem to have. Um, so I'm thankful for that. So it's a, it's a lot to balance, but luckily, you know, my family is, in the same thing I am. So that's not a factor really. We see each other, you know, as we're working, as we're doing all this. And then trends and stuff is one of those things it fits in where it fits in. And fun is usually at the racetrack. So. <laughs> Look, I mean, I think you've got, a, you've got a potential candidate there to help you manage in Mika. I think that she'd be wonderful. I mean, the thing you're only going to get around her posable thumbs, I think is a challenge in typing out those emails. Man, if I could hire Mika, she's our chow. She's at the shop every day. She'd be a very reliable assistant. I, I, I definitely would. She is a, she would be a good helper. <laughs> so, so with that though, I mean, what are some of you see as some of the pros that you're having with regards to this, your exposure on social media and the opportunities that you're having? I mean, where do you, I mean, obviously with the less time we talk about the negative side of social media. I mean, I, look, I'm a podcast host. I know the things that people say. I never read comments uh, <laughs> because people say mean things and I don't like to see them. So instead of focusing on that, what's the, the more the pro side that you're seeing as your social media experience as you're growing your brand? Yeah, so social media is so powerful. And I have started to see it as, I mean, I've always kind of thought of it as a tool. I don't necessarily enjoy posting on social media. Like if I, I honestly say sometimes I'm like, if it wasn't my job, like it is, a, it is at this point, it's a tool for my job. I would not, I might not post that much. I don't know. Um, but the potential to create a community and stuff around social platforms is incredible. So it is a lot of work. It's a lot of dedication. It's a lot of, you know, if I'm posting something, I want it to be valuable to the people that are watching it because a social platform is not a social platform unless there's an audience. Like, you have to have that. So I always think of it kind of like a three-part structure when I think of it like this. So, like, there is me and my content. How is it valuable for me? There is my, you know, people, my, my followers that watch it. How is it valuable for them? Keeping that in mind, like, why are they reading it? Why are they following and then there's companies and brands that I work with, and it's like, why is it valuable for them? So keeping that kind of pyramid, that, that structure in mind, kind of directs how I've used it. So 
I have noticed it kind of being like a test platform and a, a base for what I'm talking with potential sponsors or partners, I should say, as a base to work with them. So I'm like, okay, I've done this online. Here's the proof. Can we translate it to what you're doing? So thankfully, it gives credibility because you can see people interacting. It's opened up a lot of doors, honestly, because I'm able to work with different companies and, and brands that in a way to bring value to everybody involved. So um, there's such a great car community. I always say like one of the powerful things about social media versus like, you know, like traditional stuff is that it shows a lifestyle. Like I'm able to show my automotive lifestyle every day, all hours. So it's like, it's just, a, it's a, it's really useful when you use it right, when you're using it to other encourage other people. I like to spread positivity. I don't like, you know, the negative side of it. I try to ignore that part. So just trying to create something fun, you know, an outlet for other people that might not get to do some of the same stuff. They might not have that chance. So bringing them along for the journey is kind of my whole mantra about doing it. Yeah. And I mean, you've got a, your YouTube site and your YouTube videos are great. I mean, I really enjoy them. Uh, but Thank then you. the question is, is, for example, in your latest video, you're talking about the quest for the sixes of sorts or the process of getting down to that. Yeah. So, how long, for example, if you put that video out there, how long does it take you and your team, which is you, to put that together to get that out to the world? I mean, obviously, people think <laughs> of an Instagram post like, oh, you just took a picture and you just did that. It's like a minute job. Oh, my gosh. When you and I yeah, both know, no. it's not quite that case. <laughs> it's not. It's it's a true process. Social media, if you're doing it in you know the way that I'm trying to do it, it is a full-time job. So... For example, think of the Quest for the Sixes video, like you mentioned. I don't get, I do not want to just go take somebody else's work, you know, be it going to an event or something. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not, not bad-mouthing anybody that does anything differently. This, for me personally, I don't want to go just film something to have content to post. I want what I post to be something that I have had my hands in creating. So, like, that video for the Quest for the Sixes, it's a 30-minute video, but there was, say, two weeks on and off work. It wasn't every day. It's not like I have that many hours, but you've got to think there's at least probably 20 hours worth of work that goes into actually doing the work. Like, the car has to be built. I can't snap my fingers and it be done. So there's, you know, that much in the actual work. Then you get down to the sorting and editing. Like, that's, I've got I probably spend too much time. I've got four or five hours in doing that, and then it's the posting. So, you know, you're looking at a lot of time for each video. So repeat that every week. That adds up. Um, just because, like, it's not that, you know, if you just take a video and edit it, it might not take that long. But this is, like, there's a lot of actual physical work that has to be done in order to have the content for the video. And then a lot of that goes into Instagram posts as well. You know, those are a little bit less time consuming because you can just snap a picture, add a comment, but there's still thought, there's planning, like, you know, I need to make sure I make these posts, these times. So there is, there's, there is a lot more to it that even I don't understand at all. I am not, I don't want to lie. I am behind on understanding the actual science side of it. Like I've got to get better at that, but it is a lot of work. 
Yeah, all we know is we're slaves to the algorithm, right, in regards to how it comes along. <laughs> it's true, and I, I do not spend time figuring that part of it out. <laughs> but, I mean, you must say that you've had – you must feel like uh, the social media has given you the chance to do some things that you might not have had the opportunity to do before. Would you say that's right? Absolutely, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the people that have – you know, enabled me to use that platform because, you know, without, like I've said, like without the people that are interested, I don't know. I always say, I'm like, I don't know why you'd be interested in what I do. Like it's, you know, why? So like in return for that, I always want to make sure that I am giving back to the people and not that I am able to like give back, give back, but I don't like, I don't want to use them. You know, I don't want to use anybody that follows me as like a, a number like nobody's just a number like them following matters because that creates so many opportunities you know so it's like okay how can I give back to the industry how can I help to propel it forward so others benefit from it so yeah it definitely has created lots of opportunities forever thankful for that so uh try to use it for the good Yeah, and I mean, you, you, your videos are also like they're informative as well, which is why I like them so much. I mean, the idea that you can also share that knowledge that you would have got from obviously your family in regards to doing things and being around the shop for twenty plus years. Yeah. I mean, that's valuable knowledge that people just don't have the ability to, <laughs> to sort of like drink from that to some extent and have that information flow down. So to be able to, you're able to present a fifteen twenty minute video about how you do something and sort of share that knowledge. It's incredible. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I try to, uh, I'm thankful that my dad is like a, just a wealth of knowledge. Somebody asked me the other day, they're like, do you keep learning? I'm like, oh gosh, yeah. Like if I, if there's every day that I stop learning, like I'll be dead. Like every time I learn something more, I realize how little I actually know it. Like, I'm like, every time I learn something, I'm like, oh man, like that opened up 50 more questions. Like, I don't know the answer to those. I feel dumber than when I before I asked the question you know because I'm like there's so much information and my dad is just an incredible wealth of knowledge he is an incredible teacher too so I'm definitely the one that's like okay but why how okay why how on that okay can you explain further so he's a great teacher with lots of information and it's like like you said like that's information that's hard to find like that's a lot of googling but I save a lot of googling there (laughs) it's just that bad you know It's, it's it's a it's really awesome to have that. Exactly. And then also you don't have to have that problem where you go like, as we did back in the day, search in a forum and get one answer. And then you also come (laughs) up with the complete opposite answer. And at least you can go to the source and get the right answer first time. For sure. For sure. That helps so much. I think there's stuff I'll do during the day and it's just like a simple question, but I don't know the answer. So I'd be like, Hey, how do I do this? And it's like, okay. And I'm like, man, if I would have Googled that, I'd still be looking. Like I'd be on that for an hour. (laughs) (laughs) It's crazy. So another thing I want to talk about, Alex, is some of the sponsors, who are the people that are helping you sort of make this, for example, this quest for the sixes for you and your father you've got going on at this point in time, who are some of the sponsors that you're going to be working with and helping you get into the sixes? Uh, Oh my gosh. This is, I owe a lot of people, a lot of, praise and thankfulness here so um thankfully i've got some great people on board this year for both race season sponsors as well as carbs to actual build sponsors um afr i did it summit holly they're all just incredible companies with incredible parts um that are helping to make the season happen and then great people like qa1 
Airmotive, Billet Specialties, Beachworks, Curry, Barrett, they all have a part in this build. Um, they are, one, a great point and source of contact of, for knowledge purposes. Um, you know, I've got people at these, you know, I'm able to go talk to, like, hey, this is what we're thinking. What's your thoughts on this? So they aid in that. They're also, you know, helpful with great parts and products that will be on the build as well. So lots of lots of amazing people, amazing companies that have come on board this build. Um, and it's insane because I guess it's just the right timing. Everything works out. But this build was not thought of until the end of January. This was not even on the radar. So I've never, ever gone after as many, like, you know, contacting as many companies ever because it's always been so intimidating to me and I overthink it and I don't do it. Well, on this one, I was like, I don't have the time to mess around. Like I have got to do this or I've just got to forget it kind of thing. So thankfully I reached out to companies that I either had a standing relationship with or companies that, you know, conversations had been made. Um, and they were just, I mean, so many great people are going to be a part of this build and they'll be, all be in the videos. You'll see more of their products and stuff throughout. So. It's really awesome. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's fantastic to hear and it's fantastic to get the support. But I did have a question in regards, you touched on it earlier about doing proposals. If someone's out there listening and they're trying to like maybe work with a company for the first time, I mean, mm -hmm. what would you advice be to them in regards to putting a proposal together or what should they be looking to do, especially with your marketing background as well? What advice would you give anyone listening? So my biggest thing, and this is an advice that I made myself, I got, you know, other people have, have taught me this. Um, you know, I started working with Holly from a young age. They just came on the build. So for example, there, um, it's always been, what can I do for you? So the question is never, in the approach I've always tried to have is never, how can you help me? That's the biggest way to turn a company away. I learned that too from working with Crower during that time, you know, people be like, what can you do for me? It's like, no, 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 no. This is a two way street. And more so it's I am your partner. How can I help you? So my biggest thing is, you know, when people ask that question, it's like, learn your values, like create something that be it knowledge, be it experience, something that you can offer to that company in exchange for their support. So whenever I go to a company or, or talk to somebody or create that first interaction, it's always like, hi, this is what I'm doing. Here's my deck. Like, you know, I take the time, make a sponsored deck. I don't just send a proposal. It's like, here's, here's me, here's my program. This is what I'm doing. If you have any interest, I'd love to have a conversation with you and see what your goals are this year. And so then it's that natural like conversation of like, okay, this is their goals. Listening is such a big deal. This is their goals. And then it's like, how can I plug my services into you? So it's always just kind of that, you know, don't ever go in with like a, you know, gimme, gimme, gimme attitude. It's like, okay, I have X, Y, and Z to offer. What is the value of that? So no, I think that's, it's a lot that's of fantastic advice. Yeah, no, you have to do the, <laughs> the hard work. It can't all just be like sort of hand fed to you, I guess, is the best way to describe what you say. Right. Yeah, and for then, sure. And, and people are receptive, you know, to my other biggest advice is like, there are so many people out there that are willing to help. 
not necessarily as a sponsor, but like a mentor. Like I have a great mentor at AFR. His name is Tim. Um, and so they were a sponsor for me as a product sponsor when I was young. And Tim is one of the people that saw early on. He was like, you have potential. And he has become a mentor for me as far as like bouncing ideas off. Like I can call him and ask him for advice, get his opinion. Like there's people out there. So don't be afraid to ask for the help. Search for it. Be willing to listen to other people's opinions because I guarantee you'll never, ever, ever know everything. And so that's just one of the things to keep in mind. I always, you know, I'm like, what's your opinion? I might not take everybody's advice, but I want to hear your opinion. So always be willing to ask for, you know, help or advice. Oh, no, that sounds good. I, I, I like that thought. That's some excellent words. I'll say that. <laughs> Let's also touch on this. I mean, you've talked a little bit, obviously, about the quest for the sixes and the 55. What other things have yeah. you got on the agenda for 2021 and the future? Yeah. So for 2021, it's an insanely exciting year because there's so much happening. So as I kind of mentioned earlier, I've never got to expand into other types of racing. I've never really got to do that because I've always had to kind of conserve bad marrow and it's you know, longevity for race week type events. So this year I will have the 55 that dad and I will be racing. Um, sadly, his Nova's sacrificed for the season for this. So um, that will be that car that will be going on all four events, assuming they all happen. So Summit Midwest Drag, Rocky Mountain Race Week 1.0, 2.0, and Hot Rod Magazine's Drag Week. So be taking that with the 55. That's over... 14 tracks, four weeks of racing, 4,000 street miles. And then Bad Marrow, I will get to be trying some new events that I haven't got to previously. Um, plan to take Bad Marrow, hopefully to Las Vegas to do the um, LS Fest West. I never got to attend one of Holly's LS Fest events. So super excited about that. Fingers crossed that happens. Hopefully Roadkill Nights will happen. And hopefully there'll be some time and some events that I can take the car to um, and get a little bit more practice with, you know, actually, as I'm saying, like competing, like working on my reaction times, working on actually tuning the car at a race. So I don't know what else will be on the schedule for that. I just know the opportunity. I now have the car ready where it can just we if an opportunity arises, we can jump on it. So, so excited for this season, getting the new car built, um, you know, racing bad marrow. And then later on in the year probably late year, early beginning of next year, um, I'm going to build a Chevy 2. So it's going to be kind of a learning project for me. Um, and I have some, you know, plans with that. The 55 kind of jumped in front of that. But it's it's going to be a really, really fun season. There's It's going to be busy. It's going to be hectic. But it's exciting. It Look, it sounds like you're going to be like you've got your hands more than full, it would seem, by, by all accounts. <laughs> They're full for sure. Um my goals are intimidating me right now, but that's a good goal to have. So, Look, it sounds like you're well on top of it, though, and it sounds like the team <laughs> that you've got, which is you, are going to be able to complete it. I mean, I have I have absolute total faith in you in being able to get all this done and more, I think, is what the case <laughs> Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I've got some great people around me. Um, you know, my parents are always a help and great, great people outside of that, too. So I think you know, enlist all the resources, it'll be a successful year, so. 
And and with that being the case, though, for people that are terrible and are not already following you or, or your progress on social media, <laughs> where is the best place on social media to track you down? Yeah, so Instagram is very timely updates. I pretty much do an update every day, at least on my stories. So that is Alex Taylor Racing. You can find me on Facebook at Alex Taylor Racing. And then if you go to YouTube and you want some more of the in-depth content um, and some more long viewing videos that is riding with alex taylor and then more importantly though if anyone's wanting to buy some of your merch where's the best place to get your merch <laughs> thank you so you saved me here if you want to go buy some merch or hear some more about the story go to www.alextaylorracing.com <laughs> see you've, i think you've done that once <laughs> or twice before alex <laughs> maybe once or twice i still but, figured so Oh, no, Alex, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Um, I'm really, really excited to see how things go for you in 2021. I think it's going to be a fantastic year for you. And I think, I mean, I'm pretty confident of where you're going to go with that 55 in regards to the times. I'm just looking forward to seeing you pull those time slips out and show them all off. Thank you so much. I was so, so excited to be on your show. It was a great time talking with you. And uh, hopefully you're right. Hopefully we manifested some good time slips going into this year. So. Definitely, definitely. You so, thank you as always, everyone, for listening, and uh, we'll just see you guys next time. Thanks again. Bye bye.